Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me today on the Word Podcast. We're continuing our examination of 1 Timothy. And you know, we've been looking at what is often called the qualifications of overseers and qualifications of deacons. You know, even those type of uh, titles, though perhaps useful in some way, I think they bring forth connotations which are often detrimental because it's, it's nearly like you're applying for a job in the secular world and they want certain things like this and that and that kind of stuff. What's being delineated here, yes, are character traits and, and, and the way that someone lives their life. What we've seen in the overseer is that they must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, a, a temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, uh, not pugnacious, but they're to be gentle. So that's all in a negative, uh, well, it's positive and negative sense. They're to be gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. Uh, the overseer must be able to manage his own household well and not a new convert, okay, lest the enemy come in and mess with him. And he needs to have a good reputation outside the church where he will not fall into reproach, nor will the enemy be given a doorway into his life then. And a lot of times people say, what if you had a bad reputation before, then you're saved? Well, that's the whole point, is that you're now saved and the world will be able to look and say, hey, this is amazing. This guy's gone from how he used to be to how he is now. Okay. Then we looked at the deacons, and this began with the eighth verse of the third chapter of 1 Timothy. And it said, deacons likewise, so in the same manner as the overseers, deacons likewise must be men of dignity and not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear Conscious, So we see that there's some uh, real strong parallels between deacons and the overseer. The primary thing that the overseer must be able to do that you don't see listed within the deacons is that the overseer should be able to teach. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 3, 2. Should be able to teach. That doesn't necessarily mean they have the spiritual gift of teaching. But, yeah, they need to be able to teach. They need to be open to the things of the Lord and constantly learning. Now, the deacons are holding to the mystery of the faith. Verse 10, it says, These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And, you know, the Lord doesn't sit there and say, Okay, here's test A, here's test B, here's test C. He doesn't sit there and lay out how we're to do a lot of things like this. Of course, man has come along, and boy, have we not tried to systematize all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, through the years whether it's qualifications for deacons. Out of my background, it's honestly uh, uh, not much of anything, okay? Basically, you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with what y'all say. And then the church votes on you and says, oh, we want him to be a deacon. If you're not already ordained as a deacon, in other words, that you haven't been tested, they will um, bring you before a a board of deacons, a council of deacons, and they'll examine you. Ooh, that sounds scary. And it actually sort of was. I remember I was examined like that when uh, I was ordained. And uh, and they will ask these questions, and you think, well, is it going to be hard? Is it going to be easy? Are they trying to set you up? Are they trying to trip you? Are they honestly just trying to find out what you know? Maybe bring out strengths and weaknesses in your own life that you need to be working on, et cetera, et cetera. Well, out of my background, again, 
different churches did it in different kind of ways. Most of the times, it was just sort of a, a presumptive type of thing. They would have the ordination council at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and then have the ordination service at six. <laughs> this be planned, you know, for weeks in advance. And you know, of course, everybody, nobody ever wants to say this. I'm sitting there thinking, uh, what if you flunk the test? <laughs> You know, are they going to cancel the service? That kind of thing. So that sort of communicates a lot. What's being said here is that we need to examine these folks and watch them. Okay. Are they people of dignity? Are they double tongued? Are they addicted to wine? Are they fond of money? Okay. Are they really holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience? Or are they playing a game? That's what the testing is. You examine them and you watch them. For some period of time, whatever it may be. And it doesn't mean, okay, once this is done, we quit watching. We actually have a role and responsibility as the body of Christ to encourage one another among these things. And to keep watch over one another, make sure that we don't stumble and fall. Now, the next verse is a curious verse and is problematic within a lot of folks. I don't think it's that difficult, but I see where, the, where people struggle with it. Let me back up. Verse 10 says, these men... Must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So all of a sudden you get this verse thrown in here about women. And of course, the question arises, well, what women? Is this talk, talking about all women, that all women need to be dignified? Is it speaking about women who are deacons? And boy, that's become a bugaboo through the years. Is it speaking of the deacon's wives? It doesn't say anywhere here that a deacon has to be married. Okay, The overseer had uh, a thing right there, and it said, let him be the husband of one wife. Is that a requirement that they have to be married? Can someone be an overseer who is not married? Okay. Uh, Paul apparently didn't have a wife, though he probably had one earlier in his life just because of his position within Judaism, but nothing in the scriptures mentioned about him. So who are these women right here? Well, we simply don't have a cut and dry answer to it. I'm more inclined to think that it's talking about women that are serving as deacons because of the context. He's talking about overseers. He's talking about deacons. Then he has this verse. Let me read it again about women. Women likewise be dignified. Notice this women likewise. Be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Then it says this, deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Well, there you go again. Now it has said something about the deacons. This, do you have to be married to be a deacon? And they should be good managers of their children and their own household. Then verse 13, last verse for today. For those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So just me personally, sort of where I am right now, and I'm still open to understanding more about the scripture about this, because the whole context of verses 8 through 13 is speaking of deacons. The beginning of it says deacons likewise must be men of dignity, and then it describes to men. And then it says women likewise, likewise in the same way that these men are to be of certain character traits as deacons, women are to be dignified, not malicious gossip. <clears throat> I love that. Can you be just a little gossip and not malicious gossip? <laughs> no, no, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things. And I'm thinking that this is probably speaking of those women who are servants. That's what the word deacon means, servants. And so that there is room to understand that men and women both served as deacons. Now, I know there's churches that don't believe that. That's fine. 
particularly based on the full counsel of the Word of God. I don't think it's something that we separate fellowship over. I don't think we argue over it, that kind of thing. If you want to talk about it, that's great. That's wonderful. You want to debate it? Okay, that's fine. But when you look at uh, what you see within the Scripture, I think you're going to see that the deacons can be the men and the women. Now, it says deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Does that mean that the wife needs to be the wife of only one husband? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, and also, remember what it meant for the overseers. It meant a one-woman man. And it's the same idea right here, okay? That you don't have eyes that are wandering back and forth and to and fro. So anyway, remember why he wrote these things. And we'll look at this the next time. We've already talked about it a couple of times. But Paul says in verse 14, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, verse 15, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. That's the reason we're looking at this, where we will know how we're to conduct ourselves in the household of God. Well, again, I'm Dale. Thank you so much for being with me, and I'll see you again later. Goodbye.